Father God, you deserve our worship because of what you are like. You are holy. You are different than we are to the extent that it's above and beyond what we comprehend. And yet, you're relational. You want to know us and you invite us into a relationship with you. And I, I in some ways can't imagine what it's going to be like one day to spend eternity in your presence, um, to finally be safe and feel secure and at home uh, in a way that we, we never will before. Uh, we, in ways we can't imagine. And so, Father, we give you our praise this morning because you're worthy, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I'm going to grab my... Oh. All right. Awesome. Uh, <clears throat> so thank you, worship team. So that's... They don't know this, but that's one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, I get goosebumps almost every time I hear it. So, so thank you. You guys did an awesome job. Woohoo. So if you all have ever heard me speak before, one thing you probably know about me is that I love stories, whether it's written in the pages of a book uh, or played out on either a big movie screen or a slightly smaller TV screen. Uh, it doesn't matter what the format is, I love stories. Uh, part of what I enjoy is the tension of wondering what's going to happen next uh, in the story. <clears throat> I, I like trying to figure out where the plot line's going to go. I like twists and turns. I like... Uh, plot twists, and I usually even like surprise endings. Uh, but I'm aware that not, not everyone is like this, which is odd to me because it's not like me. Uh, my own mother, <clears throat> I found out at one point, she told me, she'll read the first two or three chapters of a book, and then she'll turn to the end and read the last chapter to see who's still alive at the end, and then she'll read the rest of the book because she wants to know. Uh, evidently, this runs in the family because my own daughter evidently does roughly the same thing. She'll, she wants to know if the story turns out well or not. I recently found out that one of my very own fellow staff members here, who will remain nameless to protect their identity, watches the first 15 or 20 minutes of a movie, and then fast-forwards to the end to see how it turns out, and then goes back and watches the rest of the movie. Like, who does that, right? So, I I know that if if I'm honest, it's really easy to embrace, like, uncertainty and surprises and the unknown in a story when I'm sitting safely on my favorite couch or chair at home. But when it comes to my own life experience, I'm way more like those people who want to read the last chapter before they finish the whole book because they want to know how it turns out. I want to know that my life is going to turn out well. I want to know, like everyone else, that the story ends well. Thankfully, as followers of Jesus, we do know the end of the story, and it does end well. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, We're continuing our Grounded series, and this morning we're going to look at some essential beliefs about eternity and the return of Jesus. And like all the topics we've addressed in the series, this one is way too big for like 25-ish minutes this morning. Uh, Anything that I say could be probably a sermon in itself. But uh, I think it's worth at least getting an overview of some of these things. And so what I'd like to do is look at five uh, generally held beliefs uh, of the church throughout history and across the world that relate to uh, eternity and the return of Jesus. And my hope is that as we look at these five commonly held beliefs, what we're going to do is put together this picture uh, of the future that's hopeful and gives us courage, especially during challenging times. So there's a lot to cover, so kind of buckle up. We're going to dive in and fly through some of this stuff. And I I apologize ahead of time. I know I'm not going to get into the detail that a lot of people want. Part of that's intentional, and I have some good news for you at the end, so hang with me. Uh, The first belief I want to look at is the idea of individual life after death. 
And I want to look at Jesus' own teaching on this. Uh, in Luke 23, 43, we read some of Jesus' last words as he's dying on the cross. Uh, one of the criminals that's being crucified alongside him has expressed faith or trust in Jesus, and he asked Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. This is Jesus' response to him. He says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, over in Matthew chapter 22, uh, we see Jesus having a conversation with some of the religious leaders about an event called the resurrection, uh, which at the end of time and at Jesus' return, the dead will be raised to life again. That's something that he regularly had the conversations with them about. And this is what he says. He says, about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God has said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So clearly, Jesus believed and taught that individual life after death was a reality. It was part of his worldview. And uh, based on the passage that I just read, he believed that the Old Testament scriptures taught that because the when he says, have you not heard, the thing that he said was a quote from the Old Testament. So he definitely believed that there's uh, individual life after death. Uh, This idea is reflected in Nukov's own statement of faith on eternity. Uh, The first phrase, it says that humans were created to exist forever. Uh, And this is something that the church worldwide uh, has agreed on for almost 2,000 years. On the very last section of the Apostles' Creed, which is something that Brett mentioned a few weeks ago, it's an ancient statement of faith, we read this. It says, I believe in, and then there's a number of things it lists out. And the very last thing it lists is the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So individual life after death is the first commonly held belief regarding eternity and the return of Jesus. The second commonly held belief uh, is, is one that I was kind of hoping to avoid. Um, but as you guys probably know, anytime there's like a difficult subject to be talked about, it always lands up on my plate. And I understood that when when Tim was planning out the sermon series, but now that I'm in charge of planning out sermon series, I'm not sure how that happened, but anyway. Uh, So the second commonly held belief is that there's a real heaven and hell. Now, I know that the minute that the word hell comes out of my mouth, there's some of you, whether you're in here in the room or online, who, who just want to check out instantly. And you have to understand, I get that. Uh, it's not a, not a fun thing to think about talking about. Heaven's really easy, right? It's a, it's a happy thing. It's a positive thing to talk about. And hell, not so much. And so uh, I understand our tendency to want to just kind of ignore it, put it over here, or maybe deny its possibility. But I think because this is one of those things that, uh, like Brett mentioned last week, that sometimes uh, there's parts of our theology that we wish kind of weren't reality, but we sort of have to find a way to deal with them anyway. I think that's, this is one of those things. And so don't check out, hang with me for just a couple of minutes. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping I can offer some things that will maybe help us uh, think more clearly about these things or more reasonably. The first thing you guys need to know is that the Bible says way less about either heaven or hell than we wish that it did. Uh, a lot of the images I think that we have of both places come from uh, centuries of trying to interpret very figurative language in a very literal way. Um, and I, I don't want you to blame the ancient church, but history is what it is. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I think there's a lot less clarity on what both places are like uh, than we, we wish they were. And I believe uh, as well that over the centuries, uh, there have been times when the church has spent way more energy 
uh, trying to scare people away from hell rather than inviting people into the wonderful, amazing life in the kingdom that Jesus offers. Uh, and I think in doing so, uh, at times the church has accidentally uh, equated following Jesus with avoiding hell. And those are not the same two things at all. Uh, getting heaven in some ways is almost a, a bonus of choosing to follow Jesus, but I don't even know if it's the main bonus that we get because what Jesus offers us is a different kind of life now that is better than we could have hoped for, that has meaning and purpose and all sorts of things that, that we all want. And, and, oh, and by the way, heaven is thrown in. So that's, that's one of the reasons why, uh, if you've been at New Cove for a while, you'll recognize that's kind of the approach that we take is we want to invite people to consider following Jesus because if we do, then the rest of it's taken care of. Um, but I do want to make a couple observations that I think will help us just in our thinking uh, in these things. So the first one is that there are different afterlife experiences for those who follow Jesus and those who don't. Um, this is something that Jesus himself talked about. Uh, in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, Jesus is teaching his disciples about some signs of the end times and the coming of his kingdom. And he uses both literal and figurative language to do that. Uh, in chapter 25, verses 31 and 33, he introduces the image of the sheeps and the goats. And this would have been something that would have been familiar to his listeners. Uh, living in a society where shepherding was just a normal uh, trade experience, this would have been familiar. If you guys know the, the Christmas story, right? Shepherds were there at the birth of Jesus. It's just part of society. So this would have, been, it would have made total sense to them. Uh, here's what Jesus says. He says, When the Son of Man, which is a reference to himself, comes in his glory, all the angel and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So in other words, in the same way that a shepherd would divide sheep and goats so they'd have each have their own living experiences, uh, this is something that's going to be similar to what Jesus will do. And it says he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, Jesus goes on in the following lesson, uh, verses to identify the sheep as those who have chosen to follow Jesus uh, in his ways. And the goats are those who have chosen to follow their own way instead of God's way. And he then goes on in verses 34 and 41 to describe the different afterlife experiences of both groups. Uh, for the followers of Jesus, it means blessing and inclusion in the eternal kingdom of God. And for those who have chosen to follow their own way, it will mean eternal separation from God and his kingdom. Which brings me to the second feature that I want to uh, help us think about here, which is <clears throat> that whatever each of these places looks like uh, in detail, each of them we do know has a main feature. Uh, so whatever it is that heaven, or maybe more accurately, the new heaven and the new earth look like, the main feature of heaven is that God will be there. God's presence is the main feature of heaven, whatever the details look like. At the same time, the main feature of hell, whatever it is that that will look like, and there's at least three different theories about that that we don't have time to get into today, uh, the main feature is the absence of God's presence. Uh, <clears throat> so whatever these two look like, it's an issue of presence of God or lack of God's presence. Uh, what, and maybe this is jump back to week one here for a second, so what either of these places look like is one of these areas of theology or thinking that lives in the important beliefs or maybe the opinion level uh, category, that these two options there is the piece that lives in the essentials part in the middle. Does that make sense? Um, all right. 
all these things uh, that I just mentioned are, are summed up in New Cove's Statement of Faith, uh, where it reads this. It says, people exist eternally either separated from God by sin or in union with God through forgiveness and salvation, which is what Brett shared last week. Uh, to be eternally separated from God is hell. To be eternally in union with him is eternal life. Heaven and hell are places of eternal existence. So <clears throat> hopefully that's the end of the, the hard part. Um, I want to acknowledge that uh, New Cup's statement of faith only actually deals with these first two commonly held beliefs. Uh, but I think it's worth us looking at these other three commonly held beliefs about eternity and the return of Jesus over the centuries because it helps fill out our picture of what, uh, what, what the end will be like, what the end of the story is. And just because these three pieces aren't in our statement of faith, it doesn't mean that we don't agree with them. We obviously do. Uh, we consider ourselves in agreement with the historic church, uh, and I just think it's helpful for us to flesh these things out. So let's look at the third commonly held belief about eternity, uh, and this is the idea of Jesus' return to the earth. In the first letter to the Thessalonian church, the Apostle Paul is addressing a number of questions that the church had written him about. And one of these questions is, what happens to people who've died before Jesus comes back? And so, in response to this, uh, in chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, Paul writes, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive... Who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And he goes on and he talks about a little bit about what that will look like. But the phrase I want you to catch there is until the coming of the Lord. Uh, in Paul's teaching, the return of Jesus was an understood part of the whole story. Uh, and it wasn't just Paul and his followers who believed this. Uh, Jesus believed this and taught this himself. Uh, in John chapter 21, we read about one of Jesus's appearances to his followers after his resurrection. And in this instance, they have, a, they have breakfast together by the side of a lake. And then Jesus has some instructions for Peter on how he's supposed to care for uh, Jesus' followers in the days and, and years to come. And after he gives those instructions, Peter asks Jesus, hey, what, what are your expectations of this other disciple, John, over here? What, what's, what's his deal? And this is what Jesus says in response to Peter's question. He says, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And then the author lets us know, because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? So again, I want you to notice the phrase that was used twice there, until I return. Jesus clearly expected that he would return to earth at some point in the future. And there are a lot of passages uh, that talk about what this might be like, uh, and they give us some general ideas of what is involved in the return of Jesus, but not enough detail for us to really hammer down when or how his return is going to happen. And this actually, uh, the, I, the subject of uh, the timing of Jesus' return is one of these issues that's been uh, debated and disagreed on throughout church history. There's probably three or four, again, common theories on this. Uh, again, we don't have time to plow through them all today. Uh, but I do want to tell a story uh, because I think, again, this is one of those things where the reality of Jesus returning to earth one day is the piece that lives in our essentials core category. And when and what that will look like exactly is the part that lives in the important beliefs or maybe opinions deal. And so we have to hold them a little bit loosely. Um, 
when I was a junior in college, uh, I was pretty young in my faith, and somehow my roommate and I came across this little booklet called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Going to Return in 1988. I thought, well, this is very interesting. Uh, Evidently, the author uh, had decided that he had figured out by comparing uh, world events of the time and the descriptions of Jesus' return in the scriptures that he had, he had figured out when Jesus was coming back. And, and because he was convinced of this, uh, he sold everything that he owned, and he bought an RV, and he traveled the country, speaking at any church that would have him, warning people about Jesus' impending return. Now, despite Jesus' own words that nobody knows the day or the hour of his return, uh, this man had chosen the Jewish festival of Rosh Hashanah, which happens in the fall of every year, as a time of Jesus' return. And conveniently, uh, Rosh Hashanah happens over a three-day period. So technically, he didn't claim to know the day or the hour of his return, just this narrow window that probably he would return in. Uh, My roommate and I actually had the opportunity to hear his presentation at a church in Kansas City. And needless to say, we weren't super convinced, but we were also young, and we thought we should probably cover our bases. So... So when we got back to campus, uh, we, we actually took out an ad, in the, a classified ad in the student newspaper, letting people know that, hey, there's a possibility that Jesus is going to return to earth during this weekend in late September, and if you don't know Jesus, you might want to get that taken care of before he comes back. <clears throat> now, obviously, uh, that didn't happen, and my roommate and I were not super surprised, so it didn't have really any huge effect on us, but I have to imagine that Jesus not returning that weekend in February or in September of 88 was devastating for the man who had written the book and sold everything that he had to spend his energy warning people about Jesus' return. And I'm sure the people that bought into his teaching were equally disappointed. Um, <clears throat> coincidentally, uh, later that year in December, the man issued a statement saying, that due to some inconsistencies in ancient calendars, uh, his calculations were off and that Jesus would be returning in September of 1989. Um, And you know how that goes. Again, uh, so I I tell this story because uh, I think it illustrates this idea that the core issue of Jesus' return is what we can hold tightly to, that he's coming back. The when and the how, what that looks like, those are things that we need to hold loosely. And it's not that we shouldn't think about those things. Uh, I personally have thoughts about those things. But they're not things that uh, you know, I, would, I would, that's not a hill I would die on. But, but Jesus' return, that's something that we can hold on to with confidence. It's in our essentials category. All right, <clears throat> let me breeze through the last couple uh, commonly held beliefs about eternity and Jesus' return. The fourth one is that Jesus' return will bring final justice for all. Now, I'm I'm guessing most of you, if not all of you in this room, would agree that in this life, in this world, justice isn't always served. Uh, Sometimes the guilty go unpunished. Uh, Sometimes evildoers are set free to perpetrate crimes on people again. And things don't always work like we wish they did. But, the scriptures tell us, at Jesus' return, that will not be the case anymore. We're told that in his love and his justice, Jesus will make right every wrong thing in the world, no matter how small. Uh, The images that we see in Revelation depict a world where the different people 
uh, of the world live together in harmony and they're treated fairly and equally with one another. It's a place where the nations of the world rule their people out of care and kindness and concern for those that they oversee, not out of their own selfish motives or insecurities or struggles for power. Those things won't exist. In fact, more than that, we're told that God is going to get rid of sin and evil altogether so that injustice won't even be possible in eternity because he has set everything straight. And this is one of the reasons why I think punishment for sin and evil is important in our view of of eternity. So that evil and sin and injustice won't be a part of our experience in eternity. Everything that is ever wrong will be made right again. That sounds like a pretty wonderful thing to me. Lastly, uh, the most in our commonly held beliefs about the end uh, times and Jesus' return is that when Jesus returns, he will establish a new eternal order. Uh, I want to read a passage from Revelation here that actually reflects a lot of what we sang just a few minutes ago. Uh, In chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, uh, John says this, it's about the vision that he's seen. He says, when I saw at that point a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, There was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully addressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This might be one of my favorite passages uh, in the scriptures, and often I get emotional when I read it. This idea that everything that's old and broken and doesn't work will be fixed and made right and new again is an amazing thought. That there'll be no more death or mourning or pain that every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. And then did you notice the main feature of heaven is restated in John's words here. It says that God will dwell with his people. His presence will be with us always and forever in a tangible way. And all of these things are really just a restoration of what was intended by God when we created everything initially. If you remember week one, we talked about this triune, relational, creator God who made everything and wanted relationship with people. But as we've seen in the last few weeks, that didn't necessarily work out because of our sin, because what the Bible calls the fall of humanity, we've turned away from God. And so that, that relationship was broken, and now nothing works right and again anymore. But this desire of God to be in relationship with people is something that we hear all through the scriptures. And any time in the Old Testament that the nation of Israel wander away from God, God sends prophets to them. And one of the things that the prophets usually say is, guys, check this out. God would love to be your God and have you be his people. And you could be in relationship together again. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Not in those exact words, but but that's that's what the prophets say. And so here we are at the very end of the Bible, the next to the last chapter, And we're told that that's actually going to be the case one day, that God is going to live with his people in perfect relationship with them in a way that was intended from the beginning with no sin 
and no evil, and there's going to be no problems in our relationships at all with him. And it's going to be amazing. In those days, we will be known and loved forever by God and one another. We'll have everything that we ever need, and we'll be satisfied in a way that we can only imagine now. I think it's going to be incredible. Now again, uh, this idea that Jesus will establish a new eternal order, that piece is the essential part. Uh, what that looks like, uh, or the details of that, again, more fit in the important beliefs or opinions level. Um, personally, I think it's natural for us to speculate what, what's that going to be like, and I think there are things in scriptures that maybe give us hints. Uh, personally, I think that, uh, this, is, this is Brent's personal side here, I think that life and eternity, because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, uh, in some ways is going to look a lot more like our life now than we imagine it will be. I think traditionally people imagine uh, like being angels and floating on clouds and playing harps, but, but I think it's going to be a lot about living and working and being in relationship and loving and creating just like we do now, except no, no issue of sin and evil to spoil it all. Um, I, I have a hard time imagining what it would be like to relate to other people not being afraid that my own sin might at some point hurt them and not being afraid that at some point their sin might hurt me, that knowing that we're completely safe in relation with one another, that just kind of blows my mind. Um, but that's the picture that I think we see in eternity with one another and, and then with God. He's going to be there with us. So I think it's going to be a lot more like this life than maybe we imagine. Uh, some of you guys are going to like this. I think there are going to be animals in heaven, or in the heaven, new heaven and new earth. Um, I don't know if there'll be our animals, but there will be animals. There were animals the, in the creation before the fall, so it makes sense to me that there's going to be animals in the future. Um, and I, I could probably go on and on. Uh, there's lots of, lots of things I could speculate on. I do know that living in a world where we don't have to worry about sin and evil anymore is probably the most exciting part to me, that God is with us and that everything is finally as it should be, that it works like it's supposed to, uh, is, is just, again, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. But it sounds incredibly wonderful. So, those are our five commonly held uh, beliefs about eternity and the return of Jesus. We've covered a lot of ground this morning. And so, my hope is we start putting these pieces together. What you have is a picture of the future that's hopeful. Uh, that is the kind of thing that lets us know during challenging times in life now, we can, we can keep moving forward. We can persevere because we know the end of the story. And our story ends well. And so because of that, we can, we can watch the rest of the movie. We can live the rest of our lives with a sense of safety, knowing that it's going to turn out okay, that Jesus will make everything right and true and good again in the end. The story ends well. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we've got a few things we're going to do here uh, in just a minute. Father, you didn't have to do this, but I am so grateful that you told us the end of the story, and thank you that your story that we're a part of ends well. And because of that, because we've chosen to follow you, we can know that we're safe with you and that we have waiting for us down the road. Uh, is better than we can imagine. Um, it might be hard for us to wrap our minds around, and I appreciate that you didn't give us all the details. 
because that might actually make it harder to trust you. Uh, but I'm grateful for the picture that you give us, that one day you will be with us, um, that we'll experience your love uh, immediately and directly. The relationships with one another will be, as they were intended, uh, completely whole and safe. Um, and I'm, I'm just so, so grateful that you let us know that things are going to turn out well. God, I pray that you'd help us to keep that picture uh, of our future in mind when things are difficult. Um, I know it's been helpful to me in seasons where things have been hard, and I pray that that would be the case for each of us as we move into uh, the weeks that we have in front of us uh, this week. I pray even this week this would be important for us to help us to continue to keep moving forward in the things you've called us to. Thanks that you love us, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.